<clears throat> Matthew chapter 26, please. I appreciate the friendship of your pastor and Pastor Legault and uh, several of you in here that I, I know a little better than the others, but I appreciate this church. And uh, I know I said some of that last night, but I'll say it again. Thank you uh, for uh, all that you've meant to us over the years. Thank you for all the prayers, and, and thank you for being there. <clears throat> It means a lot. It means a lot more than you think it does. Um, you know, it's real easy to get comfortable uh, in, in your Christian life in the United States of America. Uh, I grew up in a Bible-believing church, and uh, you know, as a, as a kid growing up in church, you get used to things. You just get used to how things are, and, and uh, well, this is... 10 o'clock Sunday mornings, time for Sunday school. 11 o'clock is time for preaching. Sunday night, 6, time for preaching again. Wednesday night, prayer meeting, and you do those things over and over and over again. And then you have this meeting every year, and this guy comes in to preach, and another guy comes in to preach, and this missions conference, and, you know, and, and then next year you start it all over again. And it can seem like, it can seem like, and you can make it that way, you can make it a ritual. You can make it just a traditional thing. You can make it a habit. And uh, I understand there are good habits to have. And if you're going to have habits, have the good ones, you know. But at the same time, uh, um, <clears throat> you know what, what I have to do and what you have to do as well, I, I, I'll just, I, I would say, you have to stop every now and then and say, Lord, I'm doing this for you. And this is not nothing. Coming to church is not nothing. Having a missions conference is not nothing. It's not just another missions conference. Uh, and it's so easy to get comfortable and, and just go through the motions and go with the flow because the flow is going in the right direction, you know. You just go with it and, and you get into, a, you get into a, 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 a comfort zone. And pretty soon, God's not even involved with it. Not for you because you're not purposing in your heart. And not preparing your heart for it. You're just going through motions. And uh, there's so much more to be gained out of it. There's, there's such a blessing to see the Lord's hand at work in things. When you purposefully do the thing. The things are already happening. <laughs> You're, in, in this church, you guys got all kinds of good things happening. So when you make it a personal choice to be a part of those things, God sees that and that is not nothing. <laughs> It really is everything. It's everything. There's an old story of some, a couple of, of medieval servants were hauling stones. They're pulling stones with ropes <clears throat> across logs and through the mud and the rain. And they were building some, some cathedral back in the, back in the uh, I don't know, 15, 1600, something like that some monarch over there, and a visitor comes up to, uh, to him, and he sees the two of them, and the, he goes to the first guy that's hauling the stone, and he says, uh, he says, what are you doing? He says, I'm pulling this stinking stone over these stinking logs and the stinking mud and the stinking rain. And he says, oh, okay. And he goes to the next guy. He's doing the exact same thing, and he says, uh, pardon me, what, what are you doing? 
And this guy has a smile on his face, and he's got a light in his eye, and he says, I'm building a cathedral. They're both doing the same thing. But one guy understands what's, what's happening. One guy, the first guy's focused on himself. The other guy's f- focused on the vision. He's focused on the end, the end result, the end game, right? And that'll make all the difference in the world for you. You know, sometimes it's, it's so easy to, to make preaching or church or meetings or whatever, you can turn that into a form of entertainment. As much as we preach against that stuff, you can turn it into a form of entertainment. Well, I'm just going to go because I enjoy it. And I don't think there's anybody that enjoys church more than I do. I like being in church. I like listening to preaching. I like being around Christians. I, I like all of it. There's not really a part of it that I don't like. <laughs> but if I'm not careful, I'll just do it because I like it. And I'll just, well, I'll just sit, well, let's enjoy ourselves. And if I don't get on my knees and say, Lord, I, I want you to do something. And I want you to do something with me through this. And I want you to speak to my heart. And I want you to speak to my friends' hearts that come to this church. And I want you to be with my pastor and be with the leaders in this church and fill them with your spirit and do something. Because, Lord, we got something to build for you that's worthwhile. We're laborers together with him, right? You ever, uh, <clears throat> how many of you got kids? Let me see your hands. How, how many of you dads? Let me, let me be more specific. Dads with kids, all right? Do you ever have uh, your little three or four-year-old son help you fix the dishwasher? He's got his little plastic tool belt, and he comes, and I'm helping daddy fix the dishwasher, right? <laughs> yeah, come on, son, come on, you're going to help me. That's the Lord and us. We're laborers together with him, right? Come on with your plastic tool belt, you know. Come on, let me. (laughs) But he wants it. Don't you want him there? I like having my kids there. I like having my son. It's it's amusing to me, you know, (laughs) how they think and what they, the things that they're imagining. And that must be how the Lord is with us. He must must look at, at us and say, well, that's a blessing, you know. You think you're actually doing something. I'm, I'm doing it. <laughs> well, he is doing it. He's, he's doing it all. He's got to do it. And uh, it's, it, it really is something to, uh, to realize that it will, it will change. I'm not trying to be like sensational or, or exaggerative. It's not an exaggeration. It will change your Christian life to think of things that way. And we're so conditioned to seek out entertainment now. We have so much sensational uh, stimulus, right? You got it in your hand with that phone. <clears throat> By the way, I lost my phone earlier, and uh, so, so, you know, I wasn't able to get my message from ChatGPT tonight. <laughs> so I guess we'll have to rely on the Holy Spirit and the Bible. <laughs> but I apologize; it probably won't be as good as the AI. But we have all this, uh, we, we have all this, this stimulus, right? All these colors and shapes and graphics and things moving. Everything's got to be moving all the time. Everything's got to be moving all the time. The kids got to do hockey and baseball and soccer and, and God knows what. And you go from one thing to the next to the next to the next and you're running yourself ragged and you lose track. You lose track of what you're doing and why you're doing it. And you got to stop. You've got to stop every now and then and say, Lord, I'm, I want to do what I'm doing for you. 
I'll tell you something else, if you do that, he might point out a few things that you're doing that you really don't need to be doing. Maybe you're just wearing yourself out for nothing. And invest your time and your energy in the things that he'd have you do. Uh, somebody said uh, years ago, uh, prayer puts you in an attitude of expectancy. You pray about things, the difference might not be what happens. What, what happens might still happen, even though you didn't pray about it. But when you prayed about it, you had a part in it. Or when you prayed about it and then a good thing happens or a bad thing is kept from you, you say, oh, man, thank you, Lord. <laughs> it, it keeps you in, in tune with him. It, it keeps your eyes on, on his hand. It keeps you looking out for his hand at work. That's what life's all about. That's what the Christian life's all about. And that's what's going to make it so that when... This missions conference is over, the, the entertainment is, is not over. <laughs> the stimuli is not over. It's not, it's not about, well, we showed up and now, you know, the credits roll tonight and it's all over with, so now we're going to go back to our jobs, you know, back to the grind. Well, it's, it's not supposed to be the grind. It's supposed to be the Lord with you every step of the way amen. and building that cathedral, amen? <laughs> and we're building something a lot better than some medieval cathedral, we got something to do for the Lord. It's a privilege, and, and we get to see it one day. And our problem is we walk by sight far too often and not by faith. You walk by sight, you get really disappointed really easily and stay that way because you don't think anything's happening. You think, what's so, you know, there's nothing exciting. My, my, where's my life going? <laughs> what am I doing? What am I working this job for? I'm pulling this stinking rock across the stinking, yeah. That's how you start thinking if you're living by sight. We, we got to open our eyes of faith and look at what God's doing. You'll always be impressed with what he's doing. You keep your eyes on that. That keeps you going. There was a, a church having a meeting one night, and um, <clears throat> A visitor, first-time visitor, came in, and he'd been told about the meeting but didn't know the details, and so he came in the back, and he was a little early, didn't know it. So he comes in, and there was a man sitting on the back row, and he sits down beside the man, and he says, uh, Hey, um, when does the service start? And the man said, When the meeting's over. Think about that one. <laughs> the service starts after, after everything's done tonight. What begins is, what are you going to do with what you heard? What are you going to do with what the Lord spoke to you about? And that's, that's what's exciting to think about. Exciting to think about what the Lord has done for you and what he will do with you. Now, here in Matthew 26, uh, I don't have a message on our, uh, <clears throat> specifically, primarily on our theme here, but it, it'll, it'll touch on it. Uh, Matthew chapter 26, and let's begin reading, if you will, in verse 51. Behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Now, we all know from the other, uh, <clears throat> the other passages, the other gospels, that this turns out to be Simon Peter. And verse 52, then said Jesus unto him, put up again thy sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how, th how then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled, that thus it must be? 
In that same hour said Jesus to the multitudes, Are you come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat with you teaching, uh, I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you laid no hold on me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. And they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off. <clears throat> That's never a good idea. He followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now let's pray. Father, I pray that uh, you please fill me and fill this place with your spirit tonight. Uh, we need to hear from you once again. We've already heard so many good things, and you've already spoken, Lord, and uh, you've already been worshipped, you've been glorified, and, and yet we can do it some more, and we can give you some more glory, we can give you some more attention, and we pray now that in these next few minutes, the last few minutes of the meeting, that, uh, that you'd be glorified and lifted up, that your word would be magnified, and that you would once again speak to our hearts, Lord. Uh, we, uh, we have no right to demand that you speak to us, but we invite you to and we ask you to. We'd like to hear from you tonight, and so I pray that you would do that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Now, Peter and the rest of the disciples thought like every other Old Testament believer. Uh, they thought that the Messiah was going to appear to destroy their Gentile overlords and save Israel from her captivities and her humiliations and then set up his everlasting kingdom, which would never be destroyed. That's, that's what they were looking for when Christ showed up the first time. <clears throat> they didn't know there was going to be a series of times he would show up. Uh, they just thought, well, here he is. Uh, and we know the passage in Isaiah chapter 9. It's just about to, it's, you're, you're about to start hearing it over and over again in the next season here. Uh, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of his father David to order it and to establish it, right? That's what the Jews were looking for. And when Jesus Christ comes onto the scene with signs and wonders and healing and powerful words and powerful preaching and powerful prophecies, uh, you think of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you think of the feeding of the thousands miraculously, uh, the dead raised, uh, sight given to the blind, uh, the lame made to walk, uh, the lepers uh, healed, sometimes the maimed healed. That's always an impressive one to me. A guy comes up, he's maimed, that means he's missing a limb. When Christ heals him, what happens? Well, I guess the limb just materializes again where there was no limb. Let uh, Copeland or, or Benny Hinn try that one. <laughs> but that's what Christ did, and it was impressive. Faces off against the self-righteous scribes and Pharisees and chief priests of the, uh, the rulers of the people, and everybody knew that they were a bunch of egotistical stuffed shirts, right? They knew that, and so they saw Christ facing off against them. They saw his power. <clears throat> they heard his words. They saw the miracles. They saw the signs. The disciples were convinced. They were passionate. And uh, the disciples were loyal because they knew Jesus Christ was who he said he was. They knew it. They were convinced. And now where we read here tonight, the story has played out much differently than they expected. 
because unbeknownst to them, God had some things going that they couldn't understand yet. <clears throat> he says in John 16, he says, uh, many things have I to tell you, but you can't bear them right now. Right? He said, guys, there's a lot of stuff I'd like to explain to you, but you're just going to have to sit tight. You're going to have to watch. You're going to have to hang on and hold on and see it through. I can't tell you what's coming. And now they're seeing it. And where you're reading right here, the disciples have been demoralized. They've been defeated. And finally, they've been dispersed. And, you know, you start with Judas betraying him and then the others running. John holds tight because he's got an inn in the temple. John holds tight. And then you have Peter. You have Peter. Peter is the one that stands out in the story. Look at John 18. <clears throat> John chapter 18. I want you to put yourself in Peter's shoes tonight if that's, all, that's at all possible. John chapter 18, and look at verse 36. Jesus Christ says, uh, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered, un delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. And Simon Peter knew that. In fact, he hears him say that. But that's after everything's said and done. He's already, he's already hacked off Malchus's ear. He's already followed him to the, to the judgment, the pavement there, the judgment seat. And Peter wanted to fight, and that was obvious. And he doesn't get to. And he's frustrated. And he's discouraged. And he's confused. And he's angry. I'll bet some of you have been in a place like that before where you just you didn't understand what was going on. All you knew is that you were upset about it. You're not happy about it. You're angry. You don't know what the Lord's doing. He didn't do what you thought he should have done. He didn't handle the situation the way you would have handled it. <laughs> Maybe he didn't. Yeah, praise the Lord. Maybe he didn't handle it the way that you thought he was going to handle it because you know him. I mean, you can't argue the disciples knew Jesus Christ. They knew him better than some of us do. And this, this thing just this blew their minds. And so Peter's there, and he's, you know, you know how Peter is. He's, he's just itching, raring to go. He's got an itchy trigger finger. <laughs> and he wanted to fight, and he doesn't get to fight. And so what he does is, sort of bewildered in his confusion, in his days. He's following. He doesn't even know why he's following. Afar off, far enough back where the soldiers can't see him, he's got to hide because he, he did assault one of them just before. He watches as they go into that chamber there, and Christ is handcuffed, and John is next to him. And he watches, and he listens, and he just sweats and cries and clenches his fists and clenches his teeth and mumbles to himself. And finally, he's done. He doesn't know what else to do. So he sits with the servants, verse 58. He sits with the servants to see the end. That's all there was left to do. <laughs> right? 
You ever been there? You ever thought it was all over? Nothing left but the crying? And because he's convinced it's over, he makes some bad moves, doesn't he? Look at Luke chapter 22. He thinks it's, it's the end. And nothing left to be done. This thing's over. Jesus gave up without a fight. That's, that's not what I thought. I mean, yeah, I bet she's even doubting if, if Christ is actually the Messiah at this point. Is he really? Were, were we, just, were we just, just deceived this whole time? Luke 22, verse 54. Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house, and Peter followed afar off. When they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. Right, that's something Peter never would have done. Completely out of character for him. But he's standing there and he's looking and he's not paying attention and he's weak and he's confused. I, I, I don't know him. I don't, leave me alone. I don't know him. I'm trying to listen here. Verse 58. After a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after, another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he's a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew, and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. I, I, have, the, I have the impression that that's similar to how the judgment seat of Christ is going to be one day. He's just going to have to look on us. And then there's going to be some weeping. Because we'll realize some things finally. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Seems like the end, doesn't it? But he was wrong. <laughs> he was very wrong. What he was watching wasn't the end at all. Matter of fact, it was a great, glorious beginning of something that they never could have anticipated. But he was convinced. And maybe tonight... There's somebody in here that's convinced it's the end. You say the end of what? Could be a variety of things. Maybe you think you're at the end of your life. Maybe you think you're at the end of your service for the Lord. Maybe you think you're, you're at the end of your rope. <clears throat> Could be an, an end of uh, many different shades. But I'm going to tell you that, that it's not the end, uh, and it's not the end for you for the same reasons that it wasn't the end for Peter. And first of all, I, I want to say that it's not the end because there's a cross that's yet to be born. It's not the end because Jesus Christ hasn't picked up that cross and gone to the hill yet, has he? He's about, Peter's about to see that. But more than that, Peter has a cross to pick up. He has a cross to take up and follow Jesus Christ. Sometime earlier, Jesus Christ made it clear to those disciples. He said, you guys cannot be my disciples unless you take up your cross and follow me. Now, if he'd been listening to that, he might have been able to put that together, but 
I'm going to give him a break. It's, that's, pretty, that's a pretty far stretch. But I'm telling you tonight, that's, that's what's yet to be done. In Peter's case, Christ had to pick up his cross and go to Calvary. <coughs> Peter had to take up his own cross. In fact, Jesus Christ told him, you're going to, be, uh, you're, you're going to have the, uh, the same baptism that I'm baptized with. And if we're to believe the historical account, that's exactly what happened. Peter was crucified. I believe they say he was crucified upside down. But that was many years from the night you're reading about here. <laughs> many, many years. So what are you saying? I'm saying this is not the end. There's a cross to pick up. You know, it's our nature to avoid a cross. It's our nature to avoid faith. We hate faith. You know why you hate faith? Because you don't know what's going to happen. That's the nature of faith, and we hate not being able to know what's going to happen. That's why uh, uh, Brother, uh, Brother Legault mentioned earlier, I think it was in his prayer before, before the meal, uh, he said, Lord, increase our faith. Well, that's what you have to pray because you're not going to increase it on your own. You, will, you just won't do it. You will not do what it takes to increase your faith. So you know what, what's going to happen? The Lord's going to put you in a position where you have to increase it. And he'll have to do it. You'll be in a position where you can't do anything except call out to him. And then he'll, what's going to happen? He'll come through and you'll see that he will come through. And so next time you'll have more faith. So he'll increase your faith. But it's, it's against our nature to, to, be, to, to walk by faith. We want to preserve comfort. We want, to, we want to be comfortable. We want to be at peace. And the fact of the matter is, if you're going to do something for the Lord, it's going to require a lack of peace, in a sense. Now, you can have the peace of God that passeth all understanding, but you can't always have peace in your circumstances. And it's in that in that fray where, where God's going to move and your faith is going to be increased and the work of God's going to be done and sometimes it's in, it, it, there's all kinds of racket. There are all, all kinds of crazy things going on and you have to isolate yourself from all of that noise and say, God, I'm hanging on to you. You hang on and he'll get you through and you'll find at the end of it your faith is increased. Why? You took up a cross. The, uh, somebody talked about the forgotten mark. I, I read one time a guy talking about it, the forgotten mark of Christ. We talk about the marks in his hands. We talk, talk about the marks in his feet, the mark in his side, the crown of thorns, the marks that they left. What about the mark on his shoulder from carrying the cross? Do you bear in your body that mark? You carrying the cross? Well, there's a cross to be born. You need to pick one up and start going ahead. You say it's the end. Well, you're breathing, aren't you? What's well, not the end? So I, I don't feel like I've been carrying my cross very well. Well, go back and pick it up again and go forward. Now, it isn't all. Uh, there's a, a repentance that's needed. <clears throat> it's not the end because there's a repentance that's needed. Brother Victor mentioned this, this repentance. Look at John 21. John 21. 
John 21, 15. Peter had to make some, uh, some moves back to the Lord. John 21, verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Uh, you know the scene here. I, I won't take the time to set it up, but this is after the resurrection, after Christ has revealed himself to the, the apostles, and now they're sitting on, a, on a, a, a shore having a meal. And Peter hasn't spoken to Jesus Christ since that night. <laughs> he hasn't spoken to him since the night he denied him. And so, Simon, uh, so the Lord speaks to him. The Lord comes after him. And thank God he comes after us. He says, Son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? I don't know what he was pointing at. Maybe, do you love me more than the fish? Do you love me more than these other apostles like you said you do? I don't know what he was pointing at, but do you love me more? That's, that's the question. He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Say, so why does he ask him so many times? Well, first of all, he denied him three times, and so he asked him three times, and that's the obvious thing. But I'll tell you something else about that. Repentance is a process. And that process, that you, you make the decision immediately. But the process some, sometimes can require you coming to yourself and snapping out of some things and realizing and recognizing some things in your failures. And you can't realize all those things all at one time in one second. And so the Lord's dealing with Peter. He, he wants to get a full repentance out of him. He wants him to real. He wants him broken down. And that's what he gets finally the third time. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved. Well, that's what we ought to be because of our failures. We ought to be grieved because of your sins, your denials of Christ, because that's what they are. He said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Now he's got the heart. I, you can just hear him in your, in your imagination, can't you? You can hear him with the tears coming and the voice breaking. That old hard commercial fisherman, he finally broke down. He said, Lord, you know all things. I got nothing left to say except you know I love you and you're, you're God, so you know I'm telling you the truth. I can't say anything more except I love you, Lord, and you know it. And I know I haven't acted like that I do. I know I've let you down. And maybe there's no way back. But I love you. And the Lord says, okay. He says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. There's a repentance that's needed. How about you tonight? You say, as far as I know, I'm doing everything right. Have you asked the Lord lately if there's anything you need to get out from between you and him? Now listen, if there's something there, you know it's there. But maybe there just hasn't been that closeness so, well, my conscience isn't convicting me. Maybe you've killed it. <laughs> Maybe. Well, the Lord's not dealing with me. Maybe you've shut the door. 
Maybe you don't want to hear it. Maybe you told him you didn't want to hear it some months ago or some years ago. And so he's knocking, but you're not listening. Let me ask you, you want to come back? You want to hear him? You want him to deal with you? What, what's life worth if you're not going to live it with God? It's, it's not worth being here. What's it for? You're just going to serve yourself? That's what most people do. You know, it, it has been uh, documented by secular people who study these types of things that there is absolutely no difference between someone who thinks about themselves all the time and someone who is utterly miserable. There's no difference between those two. Those things are, are virtually the same thing. The more you think about yourself, the more miserable you get. You want to get away from God. I just want to, what about me time? What about my life? Yeah, well, keep thinking that way, and you're going to get more bitter and more resentful and more miserable and more empty and more irritable as the days go by. Why? You weren't made for yourself. You're made for Him. You're made to have fellowship with Him. And if you don't have it, then it's the entire, you're missing the entire meaning and point of life. What's needed? Repentance. Peter needed to. You need to. I need to. Repentance is just turning around. Turn away from the wrong things and back to Christ. Now that's the first half of it. The second half of it is, you know, the first, the first step is repentance, but the second step and final step is a restored fellowship. That's what the goal is. There's a fellowship that needs to be restored. You, don't you think that Jesus Christ knew that Peter loved him? He could see into his heart. He could hear his thoughts. But Peter needed to say it. Simon Peter, lovest thou me? Why, Jesus Christ never asked any question trying to gain information. <laughs> never. Did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurred to God? <laughs> no, he's not gaining information. He's trying to get that fellowship restored. And Peter, I, Christ is ready. Jesus Christ already forgave him, but Peter needs to know he's forgiven. Peter needs to take a step. And so Christ says, you love me? And he wants to get Peter to that place where Peter takes the step toward him. Jesus Christ took the first step. You've got to take the next one. I heard somebody say this once. It's, I think it's the best way to put it. Uh, all of your salvation, your eternal life, and everything that you have coming to you in eternity, that was the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He did all of that for you. It's all done. It's not by works of righteousness that we've done. But all of your fellowship is on you. <laughs> Because he's perfect. He's a perfect friend. He's going to be the friend he's supposed to be. Your fellowship with him is conditioned on your decisions, your heart. That's on you. Salvation's on him. Fellowship's on you. Well, I just don't feel like the Lord's been as close to me as usual. Well, what's wrong with you then? There's nothing wrong with the Lord. 
Well, I just read my Bible and I don't get anything out of it. Well, maybe you're, uh, maybe you're just jaded with all the other stuff you're exposing yourself to. Well, when I go to church, the preacher doesn't feed me. <laughs> maybe you're fed up. Maybe you're coming in here so full of other things that nothing else can be jammed in there. The problem's never on that end. Problem's on our end. There's a fellowship to be restored. Well, the Lord knows I love him. Has he heard it from you lately? <laughs> you tell him you love him? You ever get on your knees and just tell the Lord, instead of giving him your laundry list of things you want him to do, why don't you just give him a list of things the way you think about him? And just say, Lord, I, I appreciate you, and I thank you for this, and I thank you for that, and I thank you that you did this, and I thank you that you did this. And maybe move off the subject of yourself. And Lord, thank you for that beautiful sunset we saw last night. Thank you for air to breathe. You made that. Thank you for that. We saw some nice, uh, he was driving around, there's some beautiful lakes and beautiful nature out here. God made all that. There are places in nature that the eye of man has never laid eyes on it. God made it for himself because he's a majestic and powerful God. He's a creative God. He's a wonderful God. All by himself. He doesn't need me to be wonderful. You know, he was wonderful before we ever showed up. So tell him that every now and then. So what will that do? It'll get you closer. He likes flattery. I don't know if you know that about him. He likes being flattered and buttered up. <laughs> there's a fellowship to be restored. Finally, I'll say this. There's a work to be done. There's a work to be done. Peter's sitting there waiting for the end, you know. <laughs> Man, he had no idea what was coming down the road. Think about it. Standing up there in front of all those Jews and preaching the passage that Brother Victor read earlier. Standing there watching thousands of people come to Jesus Christ. Giving the keys to the kingdom. Opens the, opens the door to the Jews and opens the door to the Gentiles to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gets to write a couple of books in the Bible. <laughs> That's all out in front of Simon Peter. The night he's sitting there denying Christ because he thinks it's all over. But my, what waited for him? There's a work to be done. You say, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't think I've been given anything to do. Yeah, that happens sometimes, but it doesn't mean there's nothing to do. You know, in 1 Kings 17, you don't have to turn there, but... The Lord tells Elijah, he says, I want you to go down to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. And if you read that passage, he gets down to that widow woman. She doesn't know anything about Elijah showing up. <laughs> Elijah says, uh, you got anything to eat? And she says, well, I've got for me and my son to eat. We're going to eat it and we're going to die because this is the end. Elijah says, okay, well, you can do whatever you want to do, but make me a cake first. <laughs> well, that's pretty selfish. <laughs> Just do it. And she does it. 
You ever stop and think about why she did it? She, she obeyed. She, she responded to something there. There was some faith there in order for her to give up the last bit of food that her family had. She had no idea she'd been commanded to do that. God already commanded her without her even knowing it. How about you tonight? I'll bet you the Lord's commanded some of you some things to do. You just don't know what they are yet. Why don't you ask him? Why don't you ask him to show you the opportunity? Say, Lord, show, I, I want to do something. I think there's something for me to do. Open the door. Make, make it click for me. And then wait for him to do it. He'll do it. He'll, he won't disappoint. Why? Because there's a work to be done. This is not the end. <laughs> Peter had all kinds of work to do, and so do you. You know what's waiting for you out there? There's witnessing. There's preaching. There's victories. There's adventure. There's miracles. There's books. There's songs. There's disciples. That's what was waiting on Peter when he thought everything was over. He was just getting started. He hadn't seen anything yet. And so that's not how it is for me. Yeah, I know, I know you. You know, my dad used to tell me can't never could do nothing. I'm from Tennessee. Can't never could do nothing, you know. It's true. I'll close with this, and I, this has probably been read before, but I get a lot out of it. it. It encourages me, and maybe it will somebody here tonight, but uh, someone wrote this many years ago, and uh, Carlos Hathcock, the, the Marine sniper there, he has it in his book, and he says, uh, talks about the man in the arena. He says, it is not the critic who counts, not the one who points out how the strong man stumbled or how the doer of deeds might have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred with sweat and dust and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, and spends himself in a worthy cause, who, if he wins, knows the triumph of high achievement, and who, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. You know, the greatest way for you to avoid failure is just never try anything. And so if I, if I step out on faith, if I do something, I might fail. Yeah, but it's going to be a rush. <laughs> it's going to be an adventure. You might fail. Matter of fact, you're going to fail. <laughs> Do you ever notice a just man falleth and riseth again, right? What's the difference between a just man and, a, and, a, and an unrighteous man, unjust man who falls? Well, the, the just man rises again. The unjust one doesn't. That's the only difference. You're going to have some failure, but man, you're going to have some victories too. And you're going to have some you're going to have a rush. You're going to have some adrenaline. You're going to have some, some great things, some great stories to tell for the glory of Jesus Christ. 
You're going to see God do some great things if you'll step out. This is not the end. It is the end of my message, but it's not the end. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to preach here this week. Thank you for the other messages and exhortation that we've heard. Thank you for the hospitality of your people here. Lord, I pray now in this last time of invitation, if you dealt with somebody's heart, that they'd respond properly. And we ask that you'd have your will and way in the direction of the remainder of the service. In Jesus' name.